Should you be practicing patience or pushing the panic button? Let's go to the booth for review. Welcome to the Challenge Flag Podcast, where we put your fantasy season under review. Week three is in the books, and what a crazy week three it was. Blake, do you have a recap for us? Yes, sir. Let's go through the scores from last week. So in our first game, we have Drew versus RJ Beecher. Drew came away with the win, 134.76 to 77.6. Game two is Blake Fuller versus Matthew Beicher, where Blake Fuller took home the W, 134.36 over Matthew Beicher, 118.74. Next was our game of the week, which pitted Raj Landry against Ethan Woods. Raj took home the win with a 124.44 to 111.2. Michael versus Risk was game four. Michael came away with the win, 137.72 to Christian's 99.94. And finally, in our rivalry game of the week, we had Blake Watson with the win over Jordan Robbins, 143.72 to 127.1. Overall, the games this week were not highly competitive, with our closest score being Raj versus Woods, which was a 13.24 gap. And with that, let's go ahead and jump into our studs and duds of the week. RJ, take us away. Sure thing. So my stud of the week is Devonta Smith. Everyone is pressing the panic button after week one's goose egg, but Devonta Smith has roared back to prove the doubters wrong. Smith's targets have steadily increased since the outlier of a week one performance, He had four targets week one, seven week two, and finally 12 for week three. On Sunday, Smith paced all fantasy wide receivers and turned that high 34.2% target share into a strong eight receptions for 169 yards and a touchdown, which translated to 30.90 fantasy points. The only disappointing thing about Smith's day is that fantasy wizard Raj Landry decided to leave him on his bench. My dead of the week is Tyreek Hill. A date with Buffalo's stellar defense had the fantasy community tossing and turning over their Miami studs, and an early injury to Tua made those concerns become reality. To follow up his monster 42-point performance, Tyreek Hill turned in a meager two receptions for 33 yards, which was good for only 5.3 fantasy points. This was surely not what fantasy managers were hoping for in Hill's encore performance. Blake, who are your studs and duds of the week? So jumping into my stud of the week, I have Marquise Hollywood-Brown. In what was overall a disappointing day for the Arizona Cardinals, it was not a disappointing day for the fantasy production of anyone playing on that offense. Specifically, Hollywood-Brown, who came away with 28 fantasy points. He had 14 receptions on 17 targets for 140 yards. And despite having such a high score on the week, came away with zero touchdowns. What's obvious is even though Arizona is struggling on offense and a little bit on defense, there is no struggle in the connection between Kyler Murray and his former college teammate, Marquise Brown. The second best receiving option on this team is Greg Dortch, which how much of a competition is that for Marquise Brown? Really? I'm thinking not much. The other receivers on this Arizona Cardinals offense did not seem able to get open against any kind of capable secondary like the Los Angeles Rams. So I think that Brown will continue to be targeted heavily as he seems to be one of the two receivers on this offense that has the ability to find some space and provide an easy target for Kyler Murray. I think that while Hollywood Brown's targets may go down when D-Hop returns, we can expect an increase in Marquise Brown's efficiency, which may mean fewer receptions, but more scoring chances. My dud of the week is Brandon Cooks of the Houston Texans. He finished with 4.2 fantasy points. He had two receptions on seven targets for a meager 22 yards. Brandon Cooks is supposed to be a high floor fantasy player who doesn't lose you weeks, even though he might not have the ceiling to help you run away with your fantasy matchup. However, that was not the case this year as he laid a total dud of a game. Not to mention, he didn't have a very difficult matchup against the Chicago defense, who's currently ranked 32nd against fantasy receivers through three weeks of the season. I think we can all agree that while we don't expect Brandon Cooks to have this bad of a week again, this was an extremely disappointing fantasy performance for one of the more consistent receivers that we've come to depend on throughout the years. 
looking up Brandon Cook's performance, it brings up a very important point that we're going to look at this year, which is after three weeks, there are many fantasy players who have not lived up to their expectations, whether that be one week, two weeks, or through all three of the first weeks of this season. And so we're going to jump into some of those fantasy players, taking at least one player from each roster in our league and deciding, should you practice patience with that player or is it the time to push the panic button? So we'll go ahead and we'll jump into our first player. This comes from the roster of Robin's Birds. And I think this one's fairly obvious, RJ, when I say we're going to evaluate Alvin and his season to this point. Yeah, Alvin Kamara has certainly been a disappointment thus far, and I'm sure fantasy managers are not very happy if they spent a premium pick on this guy. And a premium pick is exactly what you had to spend on Alvin Kamara to get him on your roster, especially with the news of his suspension probably getting pushed to next season. Alvin Kamara in our league ended up going as the running back number six. And through three weeks of the season, he is the running back number 55. Now, that being said, he was injured for one week against Tampa Bay, but his stat line for the season is 24 attempts for only 100 yards, zero touchdowns, and a fumble. In the passing game where Kamara has frequently thrived, he's been five receptions on 11 targets for only 19 yards and zero touchdowns. His fantasy scores through the first three weeks are 7.6 versus the Falcons. He was injured versus Tampa Bay, which means he scored zero, of course. And then 7.3 versus Carolina. Neither Atlanta nor Carolina are really known for stellar defenses this year, which begs the question, RJ, are you going to practice a little patience with Alvin Kamara or are you pushing the panic button? I'm going to opt for practicing patience here. I think we know what the talent level is for Kamara. And I see him as similar to Kyle Pitts in a lot of ways where he's one of the more talented players on that offense. And what they're doing right now isn't translating to wins. You had the one win against Atlanta and then obviously the loss against Tampa Bay and the more embarrassing loss to Carolina. I think the Saints are going to have to take a step back and say, okay, what, what do we need to do to propel this offense forward? And I think that answer is getting Kamara involved in the passing game that transforms the offense, makes it a little bit more dynamic. I am not too panicked on Kamara yet. So do you see Alvin Kamara potentially returning his running back number six ADP, or are you expecting Alvin Kamara to fall more in that RB2 range? The more likely answer is RB2, but with the nature of the running back position so far through three weeks, a RB1 finish is not out of the realm of possibilities because the guys that are in that top 10 are likely not going to stay in the top 10. And that's a really good point that you bring up, especially as we go forward in this patience or panic section. And that's that most of the names on this list are going to be running backs who are drafted with premium picks. That's specifically because a lot of these running back ones and running back twos that people drafted have been extremely disappointing. This seems to be the year of the receiver. That's what I hear a lot of people calling this fantasy season. And so while the tendency for a lot of teams might be to to be panicked and, and start pushing that button this early in the season, keep in mind that there are a lot of fantasy managers who are probably feeling real similar to Jordan in the way that he's feeling about having Alvin Kamara on his roster. So moving on to a couple more running backs, we'll take a look at the Green Bay backfield to decide if we should be patient or panicked with them. So Aaron Jones is currently on the roster for Commissioner's Curse, while A.J. Dillon is on the roster for the Chernobyl Janitors. Looking at where they were drafted, Aaron Jones was drafted as the running back 10, while A.J. Dillon was drafted as running 19. Their current positions on the year is running back 9 for Aaron Jones and 26 for A.J. Dillon. Aaron Jones' stat line through the first three weeks of the season is 32 attempts for 217 yards, one touchdown, and one fumble. A.J. Dillon's rushing line through the first three weeks is 40 attempts, eight more than his backfield mate, for only 138 yards, one touchdown, but zero fumbles for Dillon. Looking at their receiving work where Aaron Jones was expected to have the lion's share of receptions, Aaron Jones has nine receptions on 12 targets for only 76 yards, but a touchdown. And A.J. Dillon has eight receptions on the same number of targets for only 58 yards and no touchdowns. Looking at their fantasy scores through the first three weeks, A.J. Dillon outscored Aaron Jones 20.1 to 10.6 versus Minnesota. Aaron Jones outscored A.J. Dillon 32 
to 7.7 versus Chicago. And they both put up very similar stat lines against Tampa Bay with Aaron Jones putting up 5.7 points and A.J. Dillon putting up 5.8. So clearly there's some concern in this Green Bay backfield with how the split is going to work out for the rest of the season and how viable each of these running backs can be for fantasy. So with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon respectively, R.J., are you pushing the panic button on either of these players? I'm very close to pushing the panic button on these guys. Myself and many of the other people in the fantasy community really thought the Green Bay Packers were going to be devoid of playmakers, and that was the case for both of these guys being drafted so high in fantasy drafts. With Romeo Dobbs emerging last week and maybe becoming that playmaker on the outside that Aaron Rodgers can feed, that really gives me pause and concerns about this just being a full-blown timeshare and these guys upside being capped. Their usage is split just about 50-50, and it seems very much like a hot-hand approach. And you look at the fantasy scores, and that's kind of what it is. Week one, Jones has a disappointing game. Dylan has a good game. Week two, Jones has a good game, and Dylan has a bad game. Week three was obviously against Tampa Bay, a great defense there, and it it makes sense that neither one really performed. But I'm concerned about that boom bust going back and forth between these guys as we just ride into the week saying, well, whichever one starts the game better and plays better is going to be the one who ends up with a better fantasy score. So I think there's an avenue for these guys to be good, but... I think it's going to be that unreliability that gives a lot of fantasy managers heartache and pause throughout the rest of the season. So moving on from some of the running backs, we'll go ahead and jump to our first receiver on this list. And while some people may have been able to predict this type of season for this receiver, I think if you drafted him, you're very disappointed. And that is DJ Moore for the Carolina Panthers. DJ Moore in the Professional Football League was drafted as the wide receiver 19 by Team Drew K7. He is currently positioned as the wide receiver 61. So looking at his stat line through three weeks with Baker Mayfield, he has seven receptions on 18 targets. He's yet to eclipse the 100-yard mark with only 88 receiving yards, but he has a touchdown, which is more than a lot of fantasy receivers can say to this point in the season. His fantasy scores are... 8 versus Cleveland, 13.3 versus the New York Football Giants, and then only a 2.5 fantasy point performance versus the New Orleans Saints this last week. So while DJ Moore wasn't ever projected to be a wide receiver one on the year, I think people thought he had high-end wide receiver two upside, especially because Baker Mayfield was, and I quote, the best quarterback DJ Moore has played with in his career. RJ, Do you see DJ Moore's season getting any better playing with the best quarterback he's ever played with? Or do you think that this is going to be more of the same with quarterback woes in Carolina and DJ Moore is never going to really reach the potential that we've been hoping to see him reach for the last three seasons? Yeah, I'm I'm very panicked on DJ Moore unless Baker gets pulled for whatever reason and, and Sam Darnold comes back and starts playing. DJ Moore was supposed to be QB proof. He was drafted around the same time as guys like Deontay Johnson, Terry McLaurin, these talented receivers who have bad quarterback situations. Those guys are doing fine. Not great, but they're they're QB proof. They've got bad QBs and they're putting up numbers. I think we need to start thinking about Baker Mayfield as the problem here. Think back to his days at Cleveland with Odell Beckham Jr., with Jarvis Landry, who have gone on to greener pastures. Odell was productive last year with Matthew Stafford. Jarvis got off to a great start in New Orleans with Jameis. I think we have a Baker Mayfield problem here in Carolina. And as long as he's quarterbacking that team, I'm concerned about both DJ Moore and even further up the totem pole to guys like Christian McCaffrey who aren't getting the targets that they deserve. So you feel confident in saying that this is the first player on this list that you're absolutely hitting the panic button on? Yes, I would agree with that. I think the only way DJ Moore starts to return value is with a quarterback change. Moving on to our next player, we have the Risky Business Incorporated. Their running back two, that is James Conner, who was drafted to be the running back number 15, but through three weeks is only the running back 29. His stat line through those weeks is a full 30 attempts, which is not bad, but has only produced 90 yards on those attempts, which is three yards a carry, and has one touchdown and one fumble on the year. His receiving totals are 10 receptions on 15 targets for 73 yards and zero touchdowns. He started out the fantasy season pretty much exactly where people expected him to be with 16 and a half fantasy points versus Kansas City. 
But then through the last two weeks, he's only put up a 7.1 performance versus Las Vegas and an 8.7 fantasy point performance versus the Los Angeles Rams. The Cardinals offense has struggled as far as being an NFL offense. But as we noted earlier in the show, the offense produced as far as fancy numbers versus the Rams this last week, with the exception of James Conner. Looking at that, is that something that concerns you? Are you panicked on James Conner? Or do you think that if you're a little bit patient with him, he'll turn up the running back two results that he, he was expected to produce? I am a bit panicked on James Conner. It's not so much about him and his talent level or anything like that. It's more of his injury history, coupled with the fact that the Arizona Cardinals are a bad team. This defense is not good. Even the University of Texas could probably run through this defense. That's going to provide a lot of negative game scripts where Connor's not going to get a ton of rushing opportunities. And as we see with the 30 attempts for 90 yards, he's not even being efficient when he's getting those opportunities. You couple that with the fact that he can't stay on the field. There's a lot of opportunity here for someone to take Connor's job. That's got me a little bit more panicked with a more dysfunctional franchise we see right now with the Cardinals and the Cliff Kingsbury era. So moving across the country from Arizona over to Atlanta, let's take a look at Ethan Woods roster with his highly drafted tight end, Kyle Pitts, who was drafted to be the tight end number three, his projected true breakout season after a very impressive rookie campaign. He's currently the tight end 15 through three weeks. And before this week, he was even lower than that. His stat line is nine receptions on 18 targets for 125 yards, but he's yet to score a touchdown. Fantasy score wise, he put up the exact same stat line through the first two weeks and came away with a 3.9 fantasy point performance versus both New Orleans and the Los Angeles Rams. When he finally played what's considered to be a bit of an easier challenge against the Seattle Seahawks secondary, he came away with 13.7 fantasy points, which is more in the range that we expected Kyle Pitts to produce week in and week out. So looking at the tougher matchups and coming away with lower fantasy point performances versus the matchup where he was supposed to expose the secondary, and in a way, he kind of delivered on that. Are you concerned about Kyle Pitts? Is it a Pitts problem? Is it a Mariota problem? or are you going to be patient with Kyle Pitts and you think he'll be perfectly fine this season? I'm going to opt for patience here. I do think it's a Mariota problem, not a Pitts problem. Pitts is uber talented. But we talked a little bit about this last week that eventually you got to you gotta use your weapons, right? And it wasn't working for Atlanta through two weeks. They got Pitts involved, translated to a win. So we see that pattern. We see what happens when you get your best playmaker involved. And I think that's going to continue going on here. I don't know if he's going to end up being at the tight end three on the season where he was drafted. I think it's more likely he, he finishes in that five to six range maybe. But with the state of the tight end position, you're not going to you're not going to ship out Pitts unless you're getting someone super elite back like a Kelsey or Mark Andrews, someone like that. So you got to stick it through unless you're getting one of those guys because there's all the guys after that are so unpredictable. I wouldn't feel comfortable trying to trade away from Pitts. I'd rather stick with that athleticism and that talent. So transitioning from one of the most hyped prospects in the history of the NFL, we'll transition to one of the most hyped fantasy players for this upcoming 22 season, and that is Travis Etienne running back for Jacksonville. Many people expected with the James Robinson Achilles injury and the fact that he was this great player coming out of Clemson that Travis Etienne would cement himself as the number one back in Jacksonville. Therefore, he was drafted by Michael Costa at the running back number 15 in the professional league. He's currently performing as the running back 37 in PPR leagues. Through the first three weeks, he has only had 26 rushing attempts. He's put up 112 yards for zero touchdowns and one fumble. People were really hopeful that Travis Etienne would be a very strong receiving back even though there wasn't too much evidence of that coming out of Clemson. He's paired with his former quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. However, that being said, he only has eight receptions that comes off the back of 10 targets and totals for 81 yards and zero touchdowns. His fantasy scores through the first three weeks, week one against Washington, 8.5 points against Indianapolis, 8.3. And finally, this past week, he finally broke the 10 point mark, putting up 10 and a half points versus the Los Angeles Chargers. Travis Eaton clearly is not the runaway one in Jacksonville and might not be the one moving forward. Are you pushing the panic button on Travis Etienne? 
say panic as an RB2, patience as a flex option, if you view him that way. And I say that because James Robinson has shown no signs of the fact he tore his Achilles. It is a medical anomaly in that realm of injury. And I look at ETN's 26 rush attempts total so far through three weeks, and Robinson had 20 rushing attempts in week two alone, which gives me a lot of pause. It it tells me from a coaching staff perspective, they don't have any desire to have these two mix things up. They like James Robinson. They like what they've been seeing out of James Robinson. In that game where he had 20 attempts, they were closing out another team, but he, Robinson wasn't a, even efficient. It, w- it was not a high yards per carry like it was last week. They still wanted to give him the rock. I think ETN will be fine as a flex pay. I mean, you look at these numbers, 8.5, 8.3, 10.5. That's decent floor. It's nothing amazing. He gets into the end zone once that those numbers become very flex worthy. So I'm okay rolling him out as a flex but I am concerned having him as my RB2 at this point in the season because pending another James Robinson injury, knock on one for me, I don't think he's given that job back to ETN for any reason. So moving on to receiver Allen Robinson for the Los Angeles Rams, pretty similar to the Robert Woods of last year. Allen Robinson had a lot of hype going into this season with Matthew Stafford. He has one game where he delivered on that pretty well, but Overall on the season, I think it's safe to say that he hasn't delivered on the value that fantasy players were expecting or at least hoping for him to have in this Los Angeles Rams offense. He was drafted by RJ Beecher as wide receiver 22. He is currently producing as the wide receiver 69 nice on the season. His stat line is seven receptions on 12 targets for only 88 yards, but he does have a touchdown, which has helped his fantasy production on the year. His fantasy scores through the first three weeks. Against a tough Buffalo defense, he put up 2.2 points. Against Atlanta, he showed signs of hope with a 15.3 point performance. And then against Arizona, kind of faded into the background again with only 4.3 fantasy points. While I assume that this one might be a little too close to home for you, I'm wondering, RJ, are you personally going to be patient with Allen Robinson or are you starting to panic about having him in your wide receiver two or flex position? Do you want my real answer or do you want the answer that I tell myself to help me fall asleep at night? I want whichever one you think will provide value to our listeners. I am panicked about Allen Robinson. Obviously, what we've seen so far has been incredibly disappointing. I still see a fantasy relevant path for him as he gets cemented into the offense. You look back to the 4.3 points against Arizona last week, and I think on the first drive, he had two red zone targets. One of them went through his hands, and then Stafford went immediately back to him. I think it got knocked down or the pass was defended. But I like to see that. he, he you know, That's one catch away from this being an 11.3 point total versus Arizona. Maybe we're talking a little bit less about panic. The reason I personally am panicked is the the targets are not good. He's getting out-targeted by guys like Tyler Higby, like guys like Brett Skoranek, who was playing fullback week two. So it's crazy. They move him to fullback. Robinson starts getting targets and has a decent game. He moves back out wide. Week three, targets go away again. So Stafford clearly doesn't trust him at this point in the season. He's going to the other guys first. He's not looking through progressions going to Robinson or anything like that, unless it seems to be manufactured by McVeigh to get those and kind of quiet the press. As we go through the season, I could see that becoming more and more natural as Robinson figures out the offense and starts to develop that trust with Stafford. But as of right now, I don't think Robinson's playable. I won't be playing him unless I get into another pinch like I did last week where Mike Evans is suspended and I need to start two guys. He'll be on my bench until he proves that he's going to get more than four targets in a week. And if it helps to ease your mind a little bit, another one of those five targets targets that he did not have a reception on was against Buffalo. And that was another end zone target that was not necessarily on the money. The next player on our list is the highest drafted player that we have on the entire list. And that comes from the roster of the Creek Haven comeback kids. That would be one King Henry as my co-host RJ Beecher likes to call him every time he references him. And while I'm sure that is out of respect, I don't know how much Derrick Henry has earned that title through the first three weeks this year. I think if you are a manager of Derrick Henry's, you're finally breathing a sigh of relief after the week three performance against the Raiders. That being said, in the BFL, he was drafted as the running back four. And through the first three weeks, he is returning startable value at running back 15. It's just not quite where you had drafted him to be. His stat line, he has a whopping 54 attempts for 192 yards, two touchdowns, and zero fumbles. His receiving line is kind 
kind of what we expected, and that's only five receptions on seven targets for 58 yards and zero touchdowns. His fancy scores for through the first two weeks are nothing to get too excited about. Only 8.2 points against the New York football giants, eight and a half points against a very stingy defense in Buffalo. And then finally, a 25.3 point performance against Las Vegas, which is much closer to what we expect out of the league leading rusher for the past two years. And that is comforting to say the least for fantasy managers. So RJ with Derrick Henry being drafted as the running back four and a premier fantasy option in both standard and PPR leagues. Are you panicking about Derrick Henry's running back 15 status through the first three weeks? I'm not. I'm completely patient with Derrick Henry. This is what we've come to expect with him. He usually takes a few games to warm up. That's exactly what happened here. What I see as very encouraging is that he's had 54 touches, which is outrageous. Tennessee's not backing off, giving him the football. And one of those dead performances came against Buffalo, which I think as a standard going forward this season, if you guys have players playing Buffalo, you should be concerned. And he was no different. Put up, I mean, it's a modest 8.5 against Buffalo. I'd be probably pretty content with that. Obviously, he roars back against the Raiders. Their their rush defense was clearly overrated from last week. We talked about it on paper. They looked like they were decent against the run. Clearly, they were overrated. He has a great game there. But I think the most encouraging thing I saw was the majority of his receptions came last week against the Raiders. So what does that tell the Titans? They, you know, they got their best player involved. They started manufacturing touches for Henry, not just off handoffs, but also getting him involved in the passing game. And they got a win. Why would you go back to the way you were doing things before? You don't really have any playmakers right now. Get the ball into your best player's hands in space and let him make plays. Henry's going to be just fine. We've been talking about him for a few weeks now. I am not concerned at all. I am super, super patient on him. He wins you fantasy championships in January. He does not win you fantasy championships in September. So even though you're not panicked on him, do you think maybe you should cool it on the the king status? Maybe dial back the royalty talk until November, December? Or are you still pretty confident that this is the premier running back in our league? I mean, he's the king. He's not the best running back, but he's the king. I mean, just look at the man. He, he's a king himself. I'm not dialing it back. No one's dethroning King Henry. Is he more like the king as we know the king and queen to be today? Or is he more like a king from back whenever colonial times really ruled? Let's just call him the king of standard format. How about that? All right. That that works for me. And the final player on our list is another highly drafted running back. That is Najee Harris of the Pittsburgh Steelers on Raj Landry's team. He was drafted as the running back five and is currently returning running back 21 value through the first three weeks. His stat line is 40 rush attempts for 128 yards, one touchdown, one fumble. His receiving line where he saw a major bump last year is 10 receptions on 11 targets for only 48 yards, but he does have a touchdown. He is a little bit of an anomaly on this list as he is the only player to not have any single digit fantasy point performances. His week one performance against Cincinnati is a 10.6 outing against New England. He put up 13.9 fantasy points. And finally against Cleveland, he stayed pretty consistent, putting up 13.1 fantasy points. As I mentioned, he doesn't have any single digit performances But that being said, without any bust or boom weeks, he is currently returning value 16 spots below where you drafted him. RJ, are you a little bit panicked about Najee Harris and maybe even further about this Pittsburgh Steelers offense? Definitely panicked on Najee as an RB1. I just don't see how he could return that value at this point. We know that the Steelers wanted to cut down on his usage. They clearly have done that thus far. They cut out a lot of the passing game work for him. He's still getting good rushing work. I mean, you compare his numbers to Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry had 54 attempts. He has 40. Not bad. You look at someone like James Cotter, who only has 30 attempts. You see, it's not bad. It's cut down dramatically from what we saw last year. With the state of the Steelers offense, though, I think you're looking at a lot of what the performances are going to be throughout the year. You've got 10.6, 13.9, 13.1. As an RB2, that's fine. It's not what you wanted out out of your RB1. But as an RB2, that's fine. And since he happens to be owned by Raj, well, you drafted Nick Chubb to be RB2, and he's been an RB1. So if I'm Raj, I'm feeling okay about it. Didn't really work out as I planned. But is Nick Chubb going to continue to put up RB1 numbers, or is he going to fall back to more of his pattern of being an RB2? I don't know. I'm not super thrilled if I drafted Najee that high, but 
if this is his floor, I mean, if Najee's floor is 10 with a little bit more upside, more likely to be in that 13 to 15 point range, I'm I'm content with him as an RB2. So let's take a look at the brief rundown that we just discussed with RJ. We have Alvin Kamara, who we're currently going to be patient with. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, we are currently practicing patience, but we've got that panic button right next to us. Next, we have D.J. Moore and James Conner, both of which R.J. is pushing the panic button on, very adamantly, I might add. Kyle Pitts, we're headed back towards patience. And then Travis Etienne, we're being patient on him, but we see him more as a flex play as opposed to a running back two. Allen Robinson, we're, we're panicked on for sure, especially RJ, because RJ currently actually has him on his roster. So he's speaking from the heart there. And then Derrick Henry and Najee Harris, we're going to practice patience on both of those and maybe adjust our expectations with Najee. So through three weeks, we kind of have a clear picture of what all these fantasy player seasons are going to look like. So this exercise just helps to put in perspective how you should be feeling if the first three weeks haven't gone as you had planned. And should help you when deciding how you want to make trades or how you should value the players on your roster who haven't been performing up to expectations. All right, so now we'll go ahead and we'll jump into our week four previews. And with us, we have a very special guest. It is the number one team in our updated power rankings, Mr. Blake Fuller. Fuller, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I'm excited to be here. I feel like that's the most common podcast response. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, it's going to be your show, so you give whatever response you want to give. I I have to ask you, another season where you were not ranked number one, two, or three in the power rankings after the draft, but mm-hmm. you've come come up from either the middle or bottom of the pack and surprised the rest of the league. How does it feel to do it for like the 18th time? Well, this one means a lot more than the past because last year was a rough year for me, but I went Mike McCarthy style. Went really hard on the film, came back, and I, I'm I'm ready to take this this league by a storm. Well, the uh, the Mike McCarthy style has proved to be unflawed. Fake. It's <laughs> oh. fake. <laughs> well, hopefully your record is not as fake as Mike McCarthy no. and his coaching. No. Um, We'll go ahead and jump into a game-by-game basis, and Blake Fuller will be our celebrity guest picker, just like if we were doing college game day, but for the professional football league. So, RJ, why don't you go ahead and take us away with game one? Real quick, we're going to check back in at our standings thus far this year. because RJ, RJ, game one. (laughs) Game one, RJ. No, 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 no. We need to do this. So, checking in. I have a record of nine and six, uh, which you will notice is a nice positive record. Very admirable. Blake, you're sitting at five and nine. Mm. Mm, that sounds like a Mike McCarthy record. <laughs> True. Do better. So our first matchup of the week, we've got Risky Business Incorporated versus Team E.T. Woods. Going through the rosters real quick. On Chris's side, we've got Justin Herbert, DeAndre Swift, who may or may not be in the lineup, but we've got Jamal Williams on standby there. James Conner, C.D. Lamb, Brandon Cooks, Darren Waller, Drake London, Marcus Mariota, and the San Francisco 49ers defense. Over on Ethan's side, we've got Tom Brady, Christian McCaffrey, Clyde Edwards-Elair, Jamar Chase, D.K. Metcalf, Kyle Pitts, David Montgomery, Matthew Stafford, and the Baltimore Ravens defense. Okay, so positives for Chris. Justin Herbert gets a great bounce-back opportunity and another week of rest following that injury he sustained on Thursday Night Football. He gets a very beatable Texans defense. He'll make everyone forget the dud of the performance last week. We also have CeeDee Lamb, who's been surprisingly fine in Dak Prescott's absence. That's proven to have a high floor in this offense. Maybe Cooper Rush's season is paying off. Concerns for Chris. It looks like he might be without one of his top picks in DeAndre Swift. He's prepared well for this, though. If if Swift has to sit, he's got Jamal Williams and the wings waiting. And he also has Kareem Hunt, who gets a nice fire matchup against Atlanta this week. Another concern, though, we have Connor, who draws a really tough matchup against the Panthers, whose defense is the only bright spot about that team and is literally willing them to their victories. Over on Ethan's side, we've got some positives. This one is more of a positive could switch to negative depending on how you look about it. But Tom Brady draws the Chiefs this week. Tom Brady has not looked like himself the first few weeks of the season. But to keep pace with the Kansas City Chiefs, you always have to be willing to throw that football. And 
this will be a great week to see. Does Tom still have it? Is he going to get back to GOAT status, or is the age finally showing? Additionally, we've got a lot of good matchups just up and down the roster. CMC gets Arizona. Jamar Chase gets Miami. DK Metcalf even gets Detroit. He might even be able to repeat the performance he had last week. Concerns-wise, though, Stafford has been very underwhelming thus far. We attributed it originally to the Buffalo defense, but last week against Arizona, his defense is incredibly beatable. He did not look great. He gets a really tough matchup this week against the 49ers defense. And then Clyde Edwards-Alaire's work in the passing game has kept him startable and even very good thus far this season. But the Bucs will absolutely shut down the Chiefs running game. No question about that. If Clyde Edwards-Alaire cannot get involved in the passing game, there's a good chance this one's coming up as a dud. My pick in this one, I'm going risk, but I think this one's going to be really, really tight. Blake, what do you think? Yeah, I think I'm going to go the other direction. I think Woods finally gets his first win of the season. I like to think that Jamar Chase will have a bounce back game to show why he's a top three receiver in the league. Additionally, I think Pitts is coming into his own. And it's unfortunate for Chris that he has Mariota when Woods has Pitts because that means any touchdown that Mariota throws to Pitts is only going to benefit Ethan more. And I expect Pitts to finally get into the end zone. I think... That coming off the heels of a disappointing game for Brandon Cooks, he does not get back on track against the Chargers. And I don't think that Waller has a successful day against the Broncos, who have been stellar on defense while they've been not so great on offense. So for those reasons, go ahead and give me Ethan to get his first one of the season. Fuller? You know, I'm going to have to agree with Blake on this one. I think uh, Team E.T. Woods, I think that's the one that's going to get the win. I'm looking at it, and I think I think Herbert's going to have a hard time producing still. I think he's under pain, and I don't think he's going to be able to produce like he has at the beginning of the season. And then I think even though Tom Brady has been underwhelming, he's going he's gonna to have a decent game against Kansas City. My prediction, though, for sure, the game changer is I think Jamar Chase comes into what Amazon calls prime time. That's stellar game against Miami. I think he does a great job and has a lot of points that helps push Ethan past Chris. But I do think also Kyle Pitts is going to have a good game, too. I think he's kind of gotten into rhythm. And Atlanta got their first win, and it was with Kyle Pitts actually performing. So I think he's going to get the ball more. So my prediction is that Ethan gets the dub. So that sounds like two for Team E.T. Woods and one for Risky Business Incorporated. Let's go ahead and jump into the second game of the week, and that is going to put AFC Richmond up against Team Breezeless. That's our commissioner, RJ Beecher, against Raj Landry. Taking a quick glance at RJ's team, we have Carson Wentz at the quarterback spot. His two running backs are Jonathan Taylor and Joe Mixon, followed by Mike Evans, Mike Williams at the receiver position. And then TJ Hawkinson is the tight end with the flex positions being rounded out by James Robinson and Russell Wilson and Philadelphia on defense against Jacksonville. Looking at RJ's team, he has very good matchups for all of his running backs, really. You have Jonathan Taylor, who's playing against Tennessee, currently the number 28-ranked defense against fantasy running backs. Joe Mixon is playing against a Miami defense who just gave up 24 points to Devin Singletary, not known for being a standout fantasy running back. And James Robinson is playing against Philadelphia, who is also ranked in the 20s for defenses against fantasy running backs. The concerns for RJ is how will Mike Evans perform when he comes back? For the most part, his wide receivers have been inconsistent. Mike Williams went from three to 25, back down to eight. And then Jerry Judy started off strong with 20 points, but has been less than lackluster since with two and three point performances. So the wide receiver consistency is obviously going to make RJ nervous going into this week. Taking a look at Raj Landry's roster, we have Kyler Murray at the quarterback position, followed by Najee Harris and Nick Chubb, who have been a surprisingly solid running back duo. Terry McLaurin and Deontay Johnson have kept steady at the wide receiver positions. Zach Ertz is the tight end. The flex positions are rounded out by Devontae Smith coming off the heels of a monster performance and Jared Goff at the Superflex and the Tampa Bay defense versus Kansas City. Raj might want to take a look at that one before the games kick off this weekend. So the positives for Raj are that his QB position is better 
Jared Goff has somehow been performing better than Russell Wilson through the start of the season. Not to mention he has Kyler Murray, who I don't know if he knows this, but he has high rushing upside. He hasn't shown it to us so far this season, which is part of the reason why you draft Kyler Murray where you did in a super flex league. Additionally, Nick Chubb has been beyond stellar for a running back that splits carries. He has gone above and beyond. He is currently the running back two on the season in a PPR league. And Najee Harris, while he hasn't been the running back that you've drafted him to be, he has been giving you a steady 10 plus points every week. McLaurin and Deontay have been surprisingly good given their quarterback situations. They've scored between 10 and 20 points every week. And so you should look for that to continue. The concerns for Raj are his wide receiver ceiling. Again, none of his wide receivers have scored over 20 points besides Devontae Smith, who was on his bench when he did so. Najee Harris, we don't know if we've seen Najee Harris's floor, but we assume that his ceiling isn't very high and his flex position. If Devontae Smith can put up a repeat performance from last week, then that's great. But if not, if he goes back to what he's been doing, then there's really no value to be gained there. So my pick in this is going to be Beecher. Again, I'm going with another team to get their first win on the season, and I think it will be close. I have to give credit to Raj. His team has come along much nicer than I expected to this point in the season. RJ, how do you feel about your matchup this week? I mean, at this point, why would I ever pick myself? It just seems safer to not do so. So I'm picking I'm picking Landry. I'm scared. Fuller, what about you? I, man, Beecher, I want you to get your first win so bad, but I think I think Landry gets the win. I do think that the commanders are not going to be able to put out that much points. I think if anyone's going to do it, it's McLaurin. And I think Chubb has a good game. I think Najee finally kind of breaks past the like 13, 14 points he's been getting. He actually has a good game against the New York Jets. And I, I do think Kyler Murray has a good game against Carolina. So I think, I think Landry pulls it out. Also, I think Mike Williams is going to be struggling with if Herbert's playing with uh, Herbert being in pain and then, I do think I do think Jonathan Taylor and Jim Mitchell have good games, but I don't know that's going to be enough to push you past Landry. I get it. Don't don't worry. No offense taken here. But we will move on to our next matchup. We've got Robin's Birds versus Team Drew K Seven. Also, am I wrong? Should Robin's Birds have an apostrophe in there? Because it doesn't on Sleeper, and I feel like it should. Am, am I wrong here? He, he used to have an apostrophe on it when we were in ESPN, but whenever we switched formats, the apostrophe did not travel with him. So he mm. left it on the bus. Mm. Suspicious. Got some, some grammar issues here, Jordan. Yeah. You got to correct it, that. Yeah. The, the apostrophe just did not come to play like Justin Jefferson the last two weeks. Oh, I mean, probably more like Jordan's team the last two seasons. I can't, I can make oh, that. Man. joke. I'm oh, bad. Gosh. I'm also bad, but <laughs> tell me I'll I'm make wrong. it. I'll make it like like Jordan's team the last two seasons. Jordan had the, the apostrophe, please, for all of us. All right. So looking at Jordan's side, we've got Joe Shiesty starting at quarterback, Alvin Kamara and Lenny Fournette, two running back positions. We've got Jay Jefferson and Marquise Hollywood Brown as the wide receiver core, Kittle in the tight end spot, Cordero Patterson in the flex, Kirk Cousin in the super flex, and the Los Angeles Rams defense against San Francisco 49ers. So positive for Jordan. Can Kamara finally get going? Minnesota has been fairly average against the run and beatable through the air, which is the important part here because we want Jameis to throw the ball and we want him to throw it to Kamara. So maybe there's opportunity here. I think I think Kamara finally turns in a decent performance and starts to get maybe back on track. I don't know if he's going to explode, but I think he's going to return more of his value. And then Hollywood Brown gets a great opportunity to keep rolling against Carolina, who has been stingy, specifically against the run, not so much against the pass. After last week's 14 catch outburst, I think he's just going to keep rolling. I, I think Hollywood's going to be strong here. Concerns. Justin Jefferson. Do we ever think we would say that? I think it's a very, very good chance that Justin Jefferson gets the Mike Evans treatment in New Orleans. And no, I do not mean getting ejected. I mean, getting blanketed by Marshawn Lattimore. Posing offenses have struggled against the Saints, and I expect Cousins to be no exception. Does an 8 a.m. game count as prime time? You tell me. And then good old Lenny gets a tough one against the Chiefs because you have to throw against the Chiefs generally. That's how high scoring these are. If he's not involved in the past game, I'm concerned about him getting on track. 
Jumping over to Drew's side, we've got Lamar League winner Jackson at the quarterback. Alexander Mattinson and Brees Hall round out the running back core. Tyreek Hill, Tyler Lockett in the receiving spots. Mark Andrews, Romeo Dobbs, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Buffalo against Baltimore. Okay, so looking at the positives. Mattinson has always produced when he's given the opportunity. If Cook can't go, Drew is well positioned to overcome that loss. He just always produces like a running back one when he needs to. And then look out because here comes the cheetah. Tyreek Hill will absolutely get back on track this week against the Bengals. He had a dud earlier, but look out for him. Concern-wise, Lamar has been phenomenal this year. We cannot argue that, but so has the Bills defense. And specifically, the Bills defense has been excellent against the run, which is Big part of Lamar Jackson's game. They're only allowing 2.8 yards per carry, and they're going to force Lamar to throw. I think he's coming back down to earth this week after his two 40-point performances. I'm not saying he's going to put up a complete dud. I think there's a good chance he scores like 20, 25, whatever it is, but he ain't scoring 40 this week, not against the Bills. And then are we are we ready to start, Dobbs? Is it time? Is Lockett a startable asset? Has Brees Hall completely taken over this backfield? I have a lot of questions with some of the areas of of Drew's lineup this week, and it's just driving me to do something crazy. And I'm taking I'm taking Robins without the apostrophe birds with the upset this week. Like, what do you think? Well, I think I have a lot of the same questions as you. I also have an additional question, and that is on a scale from one to ten, what are the odds that Lattimore does the gritty in Justin Jefferson's face and Jefferson gets ejected for also pushing Lattimore? Ten. Ten? Fuller? I'm going with a three. I think Justin Jefferson's gonna destroy that guy. All right. Well, we'll see. I guarantee you the first PBU that Lattimore gets will be a gritty involved. Additionally, I agree with you, RJ. I have a lot of questions about Drew's starting lineup. Brees Hall specifically, and Romeo Dobbs. Secondly, I think that Tyler Lockett's game last week could be a sign of things to come, but I think last week was kind of an anomaly for the Seahawks receivers and maybe the Seahawks offense in general. I hope Geno Smith can get things going there and provide some of these fantasy options with some startable numbers week in and week out. I think that Jordan's team will bounce back in a lot of areas. Hollywood Brown, we talked about him earlier. I think he is for sure Kyler's number one, as well as Leonard Fournette will have a bounce back game. And Alvin Kamara really has a chance to prove himself as a startable fantasy asset against a Minnesota defense that really has done nothing to stop any of the running backs that they've played. I mean, look, Miles Sanders put up a career day against them. And I get, you know, Jalen Hurts has rushing upside that they have to pay attention to, but their defense just doesn't look as as good as they did against the Packers. Go ahead and give me Jordan in this matchup. And additionally, I do want to say thoughts and prayers go out to Drew out there in South Carolina with Hurricane Ian bearing down on them. So, Drew, if you're listening, I hope you are staying safe and staying dry out there. Fuller, who you got with the pick? I normally don't like to go, or I love to go against the green, actually, but I'm going to have to go with the grammatically incorrect Robin's Birds. I think, like I said earlier, Joe Burrow, he's going to have a good game on Thursday. I think Justin Jefferson is going to bounce back from the past two weeks. And in turn, Kirk Cousins will have a good game. I do. I personally am a huge fan of Tyler Lockett. Uh, I think, I mean, you look at the past two games, he's got nine receptions. I think he's going to continue getting a lot of receptions. Maybe not touchdowns, but I think he's a consistent receiver that he could have. But I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like that Robin's Bird is going to get the push on this one. I'm excited about that because Drew is also undefeated. And maybe my pride wants me to stay undefeated and him get defeated. So. Well, we'll get to that matchup here in a little bit. The game four of week four pits the Chernobyl janitors, which is Matthew Beischer against Waffle House bankruptcy, Michael Costa. So going through the janitors lineup, we have Aaron Rodgers as QB1, followed by the running back duo of Saquon Barkley and A.J. Dillon. Cooper Cup and T. Higgins round out the receiver room. Travis Kelsey as the tight end. The flex positions are filled by Christian Kirk and Tua Tagovailoa. And the Los Angeles Chargers defense is in there at the moment. They will be playing against Houston in what should be a solid matchup. Looking at this roster, the positives. Obviously, Saquon Barkley has had a great start to the season. He looks like he 
if he's not fully recovered from his injuries, he's at least 95% of the way there. He's looking a lot like vintage Saquon breaking off explosive runs. Obviously that New York giants offense isn't great, but as long as he can break off one to two explosive runs a week, he will return the fantasy value that you're looking for in your RB one spot, especially this year, given the poor fantasy production of running backs. He's against the Chicago defense, which is number 23 versus fantasy running backs, given up almost 23 points a game to the running backs, whether they're duos or workhorse running backs that they play. Cooper Cup is looking for a bounce back game after a lackluster 16.4 point performance. That's right. That is lackluster for our man Cooper Cup somehow, some way. And I think through the first three weeks of the season, Christian Kirk has confirmed himself to be a wide receiver too. And honestly, he might be putting up wide receiver one numbers through the first three weeks with a 17.7 point performance, 25.8 and 19.2 point performance weeks. So those are great strengths for Matt's roster this week. His concerns are QB Aaron Rodgers has not been the Aaron Rodgers of old, at least not in fantasy football. And his pairing with Tua Tagovailoa, while Tua did have a monster week a couple of weeks ago, I think that that pairing is probably just solid with an average ceiling. I don't think that compared to the ceiling of Josh Allen on the other side that they can really compete unless Tua has some crazy week like he did against Baltimore or crazy second half even. Another concern is A.J. Dillon. As we talked about earlier, we don't really know what that Green Bay backfield is going to end up returning for the rest of the season. So it's really dependent on the matchup and workloads for Dillon. And he's going up against New England, which is currently the number five ranked defense against running backs, giving up only 13.3 points a game to running backs on a weekly basis. Looking at Costa's team, he has Josh Allen in the QB spot, followed by Ezekiel Elliott and Jeff Wilson running out a running back room, I think. And then Devonte Adams and Stefan Diggs make up the most solid wide receiver pairing in the league. Dallas Goddard is the tight end followed by Chris Olave and Derek Carr in the flex positions and a defense to be named later. And the strengths for Michael's team, you have Josh Allen, duh. You have Stefan Diggs, duh. You have Devonte Adams and Derek Carr, which they actually have a surprisingly tough matchup. They're playing Denver this week, but I mean, at the end of the day, come on, it's Devontae Adams. He's going to be okay. Denver's currently ranked the number one defense against wide receivers. They're only giving up 18.4 points a game to receiving cores. That means all the receivers that play against them on a weekly basis, in total, they only gain 18.4 points a week. And against QBs, they're giving up 11.6 points per game. That being said, I think that Devontae Adams and this Raiders receiving core are a little bit too much for Denver to handle, and I think they'll un that Devontae will end up being okay. The concerns, the running back room is always going to be a concern when you're starting Jeff Wilson and Ezekiel Elliott, who's in a timeshare with Tony Pollard that's looking scarier and scarier week. Not to mention Jeff Wilson has a pretty bad matchup against Los Angeles Rams, who are the number two ranked defense against running backs, giving up less than 10 fantasy points a week. And as I mentioned with Zeke's split, he only has 59% of the rushing attempts and he's averaging under 10 points a game whenever he doesn't score a touchdown. So looking at these two rosters, I think the running back depth is really going to hurt Michael. And while Michael has a very solid receiving room, the Cooper Cup T Higgins pairing is definitely nothing to laugh at, especially when Christian Kirk's in your flex. I think that that's not enough of a disadvantage to make up the difference in running back rooms. And I'm going to take Bysher to win this week. RJ, what do you think about this matchup? Matt, if you don't know this, but Blake has a love affair with your team. He, he loves your team. He just talks about it. Anytime we're, we're texting, he's like, man, I just love Matt's team. It's, it's weird. Yeah, it's kind of like a like a schoolgirl crush on Matt's team. I'm not going to lie, though. I, I'm a very, very big fan. I'm a, I will buy a janitor's jersey if you make one, Matt, as long as this team remains assembled. Well, I'm going to have to decide with you on this one. Like, I have to go with Matt in this one. I mean, besides a few choice positions here, like Josh Allen over Rodgers or Diggs over Higgins, don't think I, there's any other real matchups here I would prefer on Michael's side. I mean, he doesn't even have a defense at this point. I think Tua is going to have a better game than Carwell against Denver. Kirk over Olave, Kelsey over anybody else. Cooper Cup over anyone else, even Devontae Adams. 
I, I give give him the win there with Diggs as his wide receiver one because I felt like you had to let Diggs win one. Barkley over Zeke. I'd even take AJ Dillon over Jeff Wilson, just top to bottom here. Aside from those those two spots there, I, I like Matt's roster and I like his odds of this week. So I'm picking Matt. Fuller? Yeah, I agree. I think Bysher pulls out this win. I think Barkley has a really good game, like a really good game against Chicago. And I think Christian Kirk does his best performance, even though he's already been doing really good, to try to get Doug Peterson that win against Philly. Now, I don't know if they're going to get the win, but I think Christian Kirk is a push that helps Spicer get the win against Costa's team. Also, Costa. And I really thought J.K. Dobbins was going to be good. I'm sorry so far that he has been a bust. All right. We have our final matchup of the week. And this is our game of the week pick. It is, you guessed it, the Battle of the Blakes. We have Commissioner's Curse with the appropriate apostrophe, might I add, versus Creek Haven Comeback Kids. Okay, we're going to start by taking a look at Watson's side. Got Jalen Hurts, Austin Eckler, and Aaron Jones round out the running back room. A.J. Brown and Michael Pittman Jr. for the receivers. Tyler Higby at the tight end spot. Cortland Sutton in the flex. Jameis Winston in the super flex. You've got Cincinnati against Miami. All right, positives. There's a lot of tasty matchups for your Blake Watson this week. Hertz and Brown will need to put up points to keep pace with the new look Jags. Assuming the Chargers give Austin Eckler more than four rushing attempts, he should be able to get some nice chunk gains against the Texans, who are far and away the worst team in the NFL. I don't care if the Raiders have a win or not. Texans are bad. And Michael Pittman should continue to produce against the Titans. I have no doubts there. The Titans have looked bad this year. Michael Pittman's looked good. He's going to put up numbers. And Cortland Sun goes into the week as the only reliable Bronco in fantasy. I think he still puts up numbers here. I, I like all of these matchups for Blake Watson. Now, concerned-wise, Aaron Jones. His 60-ish percent snap share is not ideal. And I would imagine that Bill Belichick has a game plan against Aaron Rodgers, and that's take away his number one threat, which is Aaron Jones, and probably try to take his way his number two threat, which would probably be A.J. Dillon as well. I don't think Aaron Jones gets back on track this week. So that's my main concern with Blake Watson's side. Taking a look over at Fuller's side, we've got Patty Mahomes, and then, sorry, I had to, I have to do this, Blake. We've got King Henry and Javante Williams in the running back room. Debo Samuel and Jalen Waddle as the two wide receivers. Dalton Schultz in the tight end spot. Amon Ross St. Brown as the flex. And Trevor Lawrence as the super flex. And the Dallas Cowboys defense against the Washington Commanders. Positives are fuller. I feel like we say this every single week, but Javante gets a real opportunity to shine. He gets to go against the Raiders this week. I think this is the week that Javante breaks out. And then Fuller's receiving room looks primed for a solid week. Debo has the Rams. He's got Garoppolo, who actually knows how to use him. I think Debo starts to get back to where we saw him last year. Maybe not quite at that peak, but his usage is going to go up. He's going to start to look better week in and week out. Jalen Waddle gets the Bengals in prime time. The Bengals defense has been bad. I'd I like all the Miami receivers this week, and Waddle's going to have a good one. And assuming Amon Ross St. Brown's healthy, he gets the Seahawks, who, again, just terrible defense. So all those guys are going to put up numbers. They're all going to produce. Now concerns. The Colts continue to be impossible to run on. We said it last week. We're saying it again this week. Derrick Henry gets the Colts this week. Now, will he keep rolling like he did last week, or is he going to revert back to weeks one and two? Pose the question. I I think that the Colts, I think their defense is legit. I think they shut down King Henry this week. Still in on Henry, but this week's going to be tough. And then Trevor Lawrence gets his first real test of the year against a swarming pack of Eagles. And Patrick Mahomes draws a very tough matchup against the Bucs. So both quarterback positions, there's some real concern there. My pick in the Battle of the Blakes is Blake Watson. It's going to be a close one, but Fuller's QB matchups just give me enough pause. We know that Jalen Hurts is going to produce. I'm a little concerned on Mahomes with the way he's looked, and he gets just such a hard matchup. And the Eagles have been quietly really good on defense as well. So I'm going Watson. Now, Watson, what do you think? Well, I think despite the fact that you continue to mistake Derrick Henry for the king that he used to be, you're a smart man to, to go with me. I know when I have picked myself, I've lost. And when I have picked against myself, I've won. So you might be thinking that there's a little strategy involved in that. But 
that that just would not be good podcasting to go ahead and pick my opponent who we have guest picking on here. So I'm going to go ahead and take myself in an absolute blowout. I think we are going to stomp all over the hearts of the Creek Haven comeback kids. I think that we are going to send his season into an absolute spiral and that roster will go down in flames after the absolute ass whooping that they're going to take this week. Fuller, what are, are you on the commissioner's curse side or are you going to have to to pick yourself in kind of a homer homer type pick well i'll say this i appreciate you teaching me proper podcast etiquette um because i was gonna go fair and actually give it face value because i do think it's a really close matchup but as the owner and gm of my team and what i've learned from jerry jones is i'm gonna i'm gonna side with my team no matter no matter the fight i think honestly Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes. I think I think Hurts has the upside on that one for sure. I think Eckler has the upside on Derrick Henry. I think Javante Williams definitely has a, a better game than Aaron Jones. Debo. I mean, I like Beecher's take on it. I, I think that Jimmy G knows him and uh, can exploit his talents way better than than a Trey Lance could. But I'm skeptical on him. So we'll. I think AJ Brown has the edge on that one. Jalen Waddle, I given he plays, I, I think he's going to produce, and I think he's going to do better than Pittman. I think I think Tennessee and Indian and Indianapolis will be a close game. That's going to be a low scoring game, probably in my mind. So I don't think Pittman has the best game. I think Schultz or well Jared Everett, if I decide to put him in, will have the edge on Higby, and then I'm taking Monra St. Brown over Quillen. I think Trevor Lawrence, though, I'm telling you, I think. I think Jacksonville is going to put up against Philly because I, even though I despise Philly and I know they're a good team, I think the Jags actually a really good offensive push against the Eagles. So, and then the Cowboys are just going to annihilate the Commanders. They're not going to score, so I'm probably going to put up a 20 point by the by the Cowboys defense, which I know you guys both hate the defense position because you guys want it gone. But I'm here for it. I'm here for defensive position, and that's why I drafted the Cowboys. And might I say, I think the Cowboys defense is going, it's going to push me over commissioner's curse and give me that win that's pretty bold of you as much as i like to scrap the defense this week or three weeks ago or whenever i don't think it's going to be enough to to save you i think Jameis winston's going to wake up at 8 30 on sunday morning and outscore your team twice over before your guys even get up to stretch before the game Not so Not yeah th- this game's going to be over thursday when you start Jalen waddle and he doesn't even play Dude, Jameis Winston is not going to have a good game. That guy is going to go out there, and I think Harrison Smith's going to get like three picks on the guy, and that's that's not a real prediction. But I do think that Jameis Winston's not going to do good. But, hey, the Battle of the Blakes, we'll see which Blake takes it. We'll see. Yeah, may, may the best Blake win. And and good good luck to you, sir. I don't know if I said that in, in all of that, but but good luck. I appreciate the luck. I I really do at face value. I think it's gonna be a good matchup. I think it's gonna come down to the wire. I do um, as well. I, I think it'll be a good tight game. But I'm hoping that I pull away as the only undefeated team this week. So with that, we'll go ahead and before we get out of here, we'll jump into our starts of the week. RJ and I will each give you one. Let's go over our records for starts of the week. Last week, my start of the week was Christian Kirk, who put up 19.2 fantasy points. RJ said that was a give me pick, but Either way, it's still one. I'm now one, zero, and one. We called the push on Brandon Ayuk after the first week. RJ's start of the week last week was Damian Pierce. He had 18.1 fantasy points. RJ is now two and zero. He has nailed the start of the week both weeks in a row. My start of the week for week three, I'm going to go with Kareem Hunt running back for the Cleveland Browns. I think that while Nick Chubb has been a stellar fantasy back, the number two running back in PPR formats, scoring 65 fantasy points over the course of the season, I think he's done it on the back of four touchdowns to Kareem Hunt's two touchdowns. While Nick Chubb does get more running attempts, Kareem Hunt is more active in the passing game. And he, while he has only scored two touchdowns on the year, I think if he takes either one of Kareem Hunt's touchdowns, then his 42 fantasy point output for this season would be closer to 50. And Nick Chubb's 65 point fantasy output for this year would also be closer to 50. So look for Kareem Hunt to get into the end zone one, maybe two times this week, and he'll go ahead and he'll be the best play for running backs in Cleveland this weekend against Atlanta, who can't 
seem to stop anything. Their defense has just been absolutely abysmal, as RJ is about to touch on. Yes, as Blake alluded to, I also picked a Cleveland Brown for this week. My best play of week three is Amari Cooper. Cooper has had two straight weeks of stellar fantasy numbers. He had 23.10 fantasy points and 25.10 fantasy points after he started week one a bit slower than fantasy managers would have liked. His targets are trending upward too, and he has quickly become Jacoby Brissett's favorite target. He had six in week one, 10 in week two, and 11 in week three. The Browns get Atlanta this week, who have forced a few turnovers, but they're more of a boomer bust kind of defense, but they've allowed the second most touchdowns through the air. They've had seven scored on them so far this year. Fire up Coop as a wide receiver too this week and get him in your lineup if he's not already, because I think he's been lingering on a bench for a couple weeks now. That's what I hear. I hear, however, he is going to be the breakout wide receiver that saves whoever's team that is his season. I guess we'll see. And I just want to point out the fact that after calling Christian Kirk a give me start of the week last week, you pick a wide receiver who scored 20 plus points over the last two weeks. How does it feel to be a hypocrite so blatantly, obviously, in front of the entire league? Mm. Well, you, I thought, I, you know, you got a you got an easy one. So why don't I get an easy one? I nailed my first two. So that's fair. If you can't get wins in your fantasy matchups, you might as well get them where you can't take them. We'll be 3-0 and here. That's all that matters. That's right. That's the record that counts. With that, we'll go ahead and we have finished wrapping up our review of this week. We want to thank Blake Fuller for joining us on our podcast. If you're the best, you deserve the perks of the best. And Blake Fuller, as much as I hate to admit it, you have been the best thus far. And so thank you again for stopping by and, and giving us your time and giving the league in, a peek inside the mind of the, I guess, former league champ, soon to be league champ, question mark? Hey, we will see. We will see. I think, thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to see what happens in the Battle of Blakes. We'll see what happens. All right, guys. Thank you. And we will see you next week on the Challenge Flag podcast. <laughs>